1: Hello, and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher. And I'm very excited today to be speaking to Dr. Antro Garcia about his book titled All Through the Town. Yes, it's about school buses. Uh, The book was published by the University of Minnesota Press uh, in 2023. And it deals with something that a lot of people know about, even if you've not had personal experience of it. The yellow American school bus is literally iconic. On the other hand, we don't actually think about it that often, and we certainly don't often think about it in terms of being an educational technology. In fact, quite often, if we're thinking about it as a technology at all, it's to rant about how old-fashioned it is, Um, not thinking about the role it still very much plays in students' education and the role it has played historically. So this is a tiny book that packs a whole lot of punch um, and makes us rethink something that probably we take a lot for granted. So uh, I'm very pleased to welcome you to the podcast, Antero.
0: Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you.
1: Before we get into all of those things that the book covers, um, or at least attempt to do some of them justice, could you introduce yourself a little bit and explain what brought you to write this book?
0: Sure. Uh, So I'm an associate professor at Stanford University in the School of Education. Uh, I'm a former high school English teacher, uh, that's kind of where you know I, I cut my bones as an as an educator, and then as a researcher, a lot of my research happened in my own classroom, uh, and was an occasional bus rider. I never rode the school bus as a kind of regular part of my commute, but school trips, uh, both as a student and later, you know, when I would take students places, meant riding. Uh, yeah, I think the iconic school bus uh, is is a little bit how I experienced this. I now have three year old uh, twin daughters uh, here in in California, and. One of them just one her, her favorite color is yellow. If you are in the car with her, she loves to just make sure you know if there's a yellow car passing her. Um, so that's been a useful reminder uh, anytime we're driving now for her to point out school buses. Um, and she also just tends to love public transportation, which I guess is a nice uh, bonus as I was working on this book. These were these were unintended consequences um but yeah just as a background i'm interested in kind of thinking about the perspectives of young people of teachers of individuals who typically aren't brought to the table when we bring up educational research and educational policy
1: a very intriguing answer um kind of on a lot of levels i imagine you probably did not plan to have a daughter who loves the color yellow
0: um, that was intentional from day 1 this was uh, yeah <laughs> just yellow lights being flashed uh, in utero <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it certainly seems, I imagine, has leads to a lot of very interesting conversations, or at least thoughts in your head going, oh, yeah, okay, they're everywhere.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Which is, I think, an important kind of obvious point to start with, with the book, that um, buses are, school buses are everywhere, and they're pretty fundamentally linked to education. And at least in some definitions of the word technology, maybe not what we think of as shiny new tech, but certainly technology, they are that as well. So, how is a school bus a piece of education technology?
0: Yeah, I think so. That's been I think that's been the hard part to basically convince people of, and I think this book is the attempt to say it is technology, right? And and hopefully get people to say, yeah, maybe by the end. I think I think it's the closest I'll get most of the time. Um, but you know, I, my my core argument in the book is that uh, school buses are two different kinds of technologies, and so I want to kind of break down both of those. One is the kind of ugly bus, what we think of as, as you mentioned, like the old technology itself, right? It's this, this hulking piece of machinery, um, that at one point was slightly cutting edge. It wasn't even that cutting edge when it, when it was introduced over a century ago. Um, but you know, was, was much more cutting edge than now. Uh, and we've, we've slightly updated it here and there. We put GPS devices inside them and, um, you know, the the kinds of uh, forms of surveillance and cameras are, that are in them are, are different from what we're in them in the past. Uh, but the bus largely looks and functions as the same kind of technology over and over again. And that in and of itself, I think, is pretty interesting to me. Aside from something like a school desk, which we could have an argument about if it's a, if it's a technology or not, most of the things that students encounter in schools have updated over the years, right? their uh, Their paper and pencil is now largely being replaced by one to one handheld devices. Their blackboards became whiteboards, became smartboards, and then went back to whiteboards again. Right? We kind of think of all of the transformations in schools, but the school bus has kind of been this kind of stalwart partner uh, in the educational journey this whole time. So that's the, that's one kind of technology. The other one is um, much more tied to the U.S. context of, of how how is focusing on this, and that is school busing as a as a verb, um, as as a kind of technology in and of itself, and so you know, through uh, the civil rights movement and the Brown versus Board of Education, um, which essentially required schools to desegregate. Uh, the ways this happened and the kind of technology that was used in order for schools to allow students of all, um, of all creeds to, to participate was through busing students, moving students from one part of town to another. Uh, and that is a kind of social technology that transformed how our school, how our cities operate, the kinds of students that show up and, and interact with one another, uh, and the ways we think about what educational opportunity in the in the U.S. looks like is basically through busing as a mechanism that was introduced in the 1950s um, and continues to persist today uh, and is hotly contested. Whether or not it's effective is is something I try to avoid answering for much of the book because I think there's a lot of opinions on it. I'm, I'm not particularly enthused by the long-term ramifications of this, um, but those are the two kinds of technology, the, the big ugly bus technology and busing as a kind of social technology.
1: Thank you for breaking kind of those two things down. Um, and I think we're probably going to get into them in more detail. Uh, but before we get into those details, I almost want to kind of further complicate the problem, further complicate <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> um, ways of thinking about the school bus. Uh, so we've kind of got this idea of, like, literally the, the sound and the smell almost of the hulking bit of tech, the very the physicality of it. Um and this idea of its intervention, quite literally, in racial politics in America. Um, but you also talk about how buses uh, influence some other kind of assumptions or some other things that are related to the school, particularly in terms of space and time of school. So can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yeah, it's great. It's, it's like you read the book, Miranda. This is great. Thank you. This is a... great. <laughs> uh, Yes, yeah, so I think one of the things is, you know, as a, as a former teacher, one of the things we learn early on and when I teach teachers is this idea of en loco parentis, right, which I think is the only time you get to speak Latin uh, in your teacher education program. Uh, and, you know, it basically means that you are in charge, in, in place of the parent, you are, you are the adults, right, and you, you uh, have legal responsibility for kids when you're, when they're in your classroom, um, which is, you know, I always impress upon my pre-service teachers, like, what a, what a beautiful and terrifying responsibility this can be and so it, in that regard right one of the questions that i regularly think about is what happens where does school begin is kind of the maybe the existential question to to kind of consider for a moment does school begin when the handoff from uh from parent to teacher happens because with the school bus and with the students who ride the school bus every day you know there's this uh 20 to uh, to 60 minute to 90 minutes for for the students i've studied in this book um, time when they're riding on a bus and they're not at school yet and is that school when they when they enter the bus and what happens to that time for those students um, particularly in, in the context of studying where it was largely um, uh, uh, lower socioeconomic students with uh, that were largely black and brown young people riding the bus every day to a more affluent community uh, we can think about this um, this imposition of space and time as something that, uh, is something like a tax, right? This is a tax that is uh, taken upon some students in order for them to take, uh, to gain the same kinds of educational opportunity as their peers. And so this is, the, this is kind of a fundamental question of where does school begin? Um, what opportunities are lost? Uh, and what kinds of skills are gained, right? Like these kids, by the time they, <laughs> you start in kindergarten and you go through 12th grade, uh, you become an expert at something if you're riding the bus every day. We're not quite sure what that is. Um, and, you know, what are the ways that time is lost, that time is gained? What, what do we do? Uh, and are you on, the, I guess, uh, just as one other kind of meandering tangent around all of this, right? That if a teacher is the kind of de facto parent, is the legal, is the legal guardian for these kids that they're in their classroom, right, you could probably say the same for the school bus driver, right? Uh, the school bus driver oftentimes is parodied or made fun of in, in media, right, as someone who is not particularly proficient or is grumpy, uh, they have a lot of reasons to be grumpy, understandably, right? You are you're transporting anywhere from uh, twenty to fifty to sixty kids in a bus. Oftentimes, you're the only adult on the bus, uh, and your responsibility is to get them safely from one space to another. Uh, your responsibility isn't to uh, instruct them. Uh, your responsibility isn't to make them happy. It is basically to, you know, move them. It is it is a logistical concern to get them from point A to point B. Uh, And do that as safely as possible. And so uh, that that kind of uh, that kind of responsibility contrasts with the kinds of welcoming and warm expectations of what we expect kids to experience from adults in schools isn't to say that the school bus drivers I've worked with for this book uh, were mean or bad people right but their responsibilities aren't necessarily aligned. with the responsibilities uh, and expectations of, of kids and their learning experience per se.
1: Well, and not just their responsibilities, but also their training,
0: right? Yeah, you're exactly. not necessarily yeah.
1: signing up to be a babysitter. Um, yep. You're signing up to drive a vehicle. And those are very different skill sets. So um, I thought that was really interesting. The reason I wanted to bring it up early is um, I took school buses as a child, not the uh, iconic American ones, um, but a similar sort of like bus to get from home to school. And Yet in years of teaching, I've never actually thought about it in my own teaching, and the instant I think of my student experience, it comes back, and I had never noticed that before. That if I think about it as a teacher, it's completely invisible. And yet, as a student, Does it, come back as it a, was a as daily a positive
0: present. feeling for you. Is it? Is it a? Is it a, good, is it a nostalgic <laughs> feeling?
1: No, I mean nostalgic <laughs> in the sense of like, oh, I remember those days, but not as in a oh that was nice
0: yeah i remember Um, those days and i'm done with those days
1: yes (laughs) yes yes i'm very pleased to be done with those days um and the idea of a time tax really sort of makes a lot of sense Um, and in a lot of ways reading this book uh, I felt quite lucky because yes there was a time tax in my particular circumstance um, but I was on quite nice buses. They were not yellow, they were not American, they were not rattling round, they did have seat belts, um, they were actually quite quiet. Um, All sorts of nice things, (laughs) yeah. Which this school bus that we're talking about here um, has a very particular form, and it's not a very nice one. So, why is the school bus physically the way it is?
0: (laughs) Why is it so ugly? Yeah, it is. Here's the thing: is I I kind of love like the I've gotten really into typewriters during the during the pandemic, which is a very nerdy thing to say. Um, And I love the kind of like big, bulky utility of them. And some say some ways, if you look at the school bus, it is this kind of like beautiful you know industrial looking thing but it, as a as a mode of transportation it's it's largely uncomfortable and and um it's safe right there haven't there, there are not that many bus fatalities for kids that uh, and I don't go that deeply into that in the book in that um but you know even compared to most other buses that that you might encounter and and ride the school bus is feels inferior uh, to them right the the there's a lack of decor there's a lack of a welcoming atmosphere you could maybe put a lick of paint on the inside there's there's some very easy things you could do but there's a couple of obvious things that happened at the beginning of the creation of the U.S. school bus uh, that made it the way that it is Um, the design of the benches and the kind of very upright boxy nature of them that makes them quite uncomfortable as adults to sit in um, uh, is essentially meant so that uh, the bus kind of uh, collapses in a way, if it's in a car crash to protect passengers who are properly seating in the seats. And so this is why most buses don't have, uh, seatbelts in the U S some of them do, but most of them do not, um, is it's designed so that upon impact, you don't need, um, seatbelts as a, as a contested thing, but this has largely been how policies existed. Uh, and, um, uh, uh, school bus yellow uh, is a, is an official and legal color here in the United States that uh, is not allowed to be painted on any other vehicle and so um, this was all decided at this kind of this fine this kind of famous convening at the at the um, the middle of the 20th century where a bunch of stalwart men came together and and hashed out the legal policies of school buses and bus drivers and they decided on um, chrome uh uh, school bus chrome which is school bus yellow uh, that became this official color and so like the color and the design on side really was uh the official kind of designation that made the school bus the way it is and then you know largely from there uh i think my understanding of, of how things have have not changed and why the bus is the way it is is probably just uh something of uh, this is how it's always been done, right? And because there's not a lot of, I think to your point of the school bus becomes invisible once we be, once we kind of get on the other side of the educational world, it's no longer the concern of of what we do in schools, right? Our concern is on reading. And particularly right now, we talk about learning loss and we talk about, you know, what are we gonna do about chat GPT and all these new emerging technologies? The school bus has always been there and it will always be there is kind of, I think, how we take things for granted. Uh, and so there hasn't been a lot of attention on, could we make this experience that much better for kids in general? I don't, you know, uh, my my graduate students and I tried to look for other school bus research, and most of it's on policies and logistics and isn't on kids' experience, except for a colleague here, Ira rel- Litt, who wrote a book, a book called Bus Kids. They really focused on kids riding buses, um, but their experiences at school and not necessarily on the bus. Um, so that's really, I think, why things haven't changed. And I'll just, I'll, I'll note something that I mentioned in the book, um, and that is this idea that... Uh, uh, every day when the kids so I, I rode the bus with with these with these students for a large portion of um, um, right before the pandemic as as part of our, as part of the study and every day we'd ride the bus we would pass here in Silicon Valley um, these beautiful white chartered buses uh, they'd go faster than us right they they looked smarter they smelled nicer they're quieter uh, and these were buses that were the busing system for Google and Facebook and Apple employees that were kind of zooming around. Um, passing us in this yellow bus, right? We know that there's better options. I'm sure there are delicious snacks. I bet there's like lightning fast Wi-Fi, probably free massages. I don't know what happens on those buses, um, but I know they don't happen on the, the yellow school bus. And so we know there's better options in terms of what the technology looks like. We just choose not to, um, not to invest in it
1: which is concerning on a number of levels. Hopefully, listeners at this point are starting to take the school bus seriously. Um, But before we move on, I do have a follow-up, because one thing that is often striking to observers of the United States is that uh, there seem to be 51 systems, one per state and the federal system. But school buses are the same color for the whole country. Why are they that color? And how is it that they're one color?
0: It is wild that, yeah, we can't agree on anything here in the United States. Uh, and yet this, the yellow school bus seems like the thing that has had us that is stuck. Right. Um, that's a good question. I, my sense, and I actually don't know the, the exact answer to why this is. And I actually, I could imagine uh, districts might be able to buy school buses and paint them a different color. Maybe you get some cool um, hologram school buses or something like that. Um, but again, like going back to this kind of one convening of um, of uh, transportation educational leaders, uh, in the in the nineteen nineteen thirties and forties, and uh, and they met a couple other times in the in the um in the twentieth century. Um, this, this is basically where they agreed on this yellow color and kind of put it in the books as school buses shall be this color. Um, and you know, I, my my sense is, uh, when you get to the state level, uh just operating and thinking about school bus operations at a, at a district level and at a state level, um, and even at a, at a school level, right? I've had conversations with superintendents about how they make their decisions about how many bus stops they make in the morning, how many routes they take, um, how many different pickup times there would be if their kids were doing sports after school. Like the logistics get very, very complicated. Um, and it really, and, and in those conversations, I think they make some base assumptions of, well, we know there's these vehicles, we know how many seats are in them and you know we know we'll have to replace them when you know when they get old or when the company that's contracting them needs to replace them the color just doesn't come up in most of this research anymore i think it became a settled issue um you know uh, several generations ago at this point and it just kind of stuck right i think i think this is why the school bus is such a cemented part of our understanding of uh it's not just that these two forms of technology exist right this this school bus and this form of busing but they are fused together in the public imagination of how schools operate. We assume that schools in the United States have to have a bus and it has to be yellow and it has to work this way. When we know, you know, uh, during the pandemic, there was a large portion of two different academic school years where these buses sat dormant and these buses didn't operate. Uh, And that meant that, you know, we were worried about what learning opportunity looked like. But we also know that for a large portion of American children, they were able to sleep in an extra hour every day and they' were able to get home from school or their school day ended much earlier because they weren't on the school bus and so you know to 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 try to to find my way back to your question of the school bus yellow, I think it's because it's how it's always been, even if we've seen possibilities that it could be otherwise
1: I'm now trying to imagine what i what color I would prefer than yellow
0: <laughs> was your school bus yellow
1: no. And none of it. They they were just the like color of whatever the bus company was, and all the schools had different bus companies. And
0: mm.
1: yeah, I mean, we also never thought about what our school buses looked like. It also was not a thing that occurred to anyone to question. Um, it's but just they an were ambient not
0: thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's very interesting. Um, and to kind of continue this sort of critical questioning thread with a with a tinge of concern. I would describe my questions so far um let's really go into the kind of terrifying bit of the book um which is that in some senses this idea of the very uncomfortable seats we've just heard from you you're like oh well it's good because it protects the kids if something goes wrong which sounds really nice but you also detail that there's a whole bunch of elements about the physicality and the organization of the boss that are not really meant to be protective of the students. They're not meant to be enhancing and encouraging and whatever else nice things about them. They're about control. Tell us about yeah, this. Abso-
0: absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, oftentimes when we talk to, to pre-service teachers about schools and power and control, right? we oftentimes bring up Foucault. Again, we we, we like to use... Uh, fancy French words. So Foucault gets invoked as we think about power. <clears throat> and we talk about the panopticon. Um, <clears throat> in some sense, the the school bus is the ultimate uh, form of control, right? So um, the school bus driver has this kind of beautiful mirror thing, right? That um, It's like their rearview mirror, but it basically is aligned so they can see most rows of the school bus at any given time unless students are kind of ducking under their seats. Uh, they have this very loud Uh, intercom system so they can communicate and they can pull over if they need to, if there's a fight or if there's a conflict happening on the bus. And so through all of these pieces, um, sorry, I got something in my throat. throat) Um, through, through all of these different forms of control, the, the bus is meant as a place for surveillance, right? Students are, and there's, there's also a camera that records what happens in the bus in case it needs to be turned over to the school officials or even, um, the police, uh, through all of this, right, the point of the bus again is about logistics: get kids from one point to another, do that safely, and make sure that you can watch what kids are doing uh, in case you need to report on them or, or you know, it always these conversations always come back to safety rather than to comfort or to joy. Uh, and I can understand the legal reasons and the histories behind that, but you you have to wonder what gets lost in that. There's other forms of control that I think are really interesting, though, right? And that is everybody, because, it, because the school bus is yellow here in the US, everybody knows what it is and how it operates. Hopefully, that means that there's a certain level of deference to how drivers are moving and maneuvering around the school bus when it's on the road. Um, and when it gets to a stop and it's dropping off kids, it has this kind of beautiful uh, red blinking stop sign often that pops off at the side of the... Uh, the bus, and it basically instructs the entire world around it to go to pause, right? As kids get on and off the bus, right? That if you see that blinking stop sign, regardless of where you are, you stop while the bus has that sign out. Um, and so I've kind of described this. I um, I use Elias Canetti's framing of um, in in his book *Crowds and Power* to talk about the school bus driver as something of like a conductor, where the school bus driver she might have um, absolute control an observation of what's happening in the bus and through the use of technologies like this blinking stop sign has absolute control and power outside of the bus to at least temporarily, right? It's this moment of this person who both stops the outside world, controls the inside world, like a conductor for Kennedy, right? Who both controls the orchestra and commands and uh, silence from the audience, right? Has this kind of front and back tower. And I think there's something way, to, there's a way to think about a school bus as you know, a particularly instructional model of how we're supposed to behave, how we're supposed to socialize, how we're supposed to be quiet, how we're supposed to um, uh, orient our bodies uh, to other people. Uh, these These are all kinds of lessons that kids are supposed to learn on buses alongside the kind of social lessons they learn from talking with one another, from learning how to Evade surveillance from the adults on the bus, right? There's, there's, these are the lessons I think are really important for young people.
1: So then, sort of expanding on that, um, given this thinking, and of course, given your experience being sat on the bus with students and seeing what was happening and asking them questions about it, what are then some of the broader social impacts for students that are on these school buses?
0: Yeah, I think it's a good question. I and I will I will just shout out that I, I rode the bus with. Uh, three of my graduate students who are recently into our doctoral program, uh, Stephanie Robillard, Suva Suzara, and Jorge Garcia. Um, and it's one I want to acknowledge them because, you know, this was their first uh year and first quarter of their doctorate program. It's like I finally made it to Stanford. I'm I'm here to do. Uh, clinical research or whatever it is you know students might imagine and the first thing i do is get on get on a school bus right this is uh, uh I, it's, it's really important for me for for young for um researchers to think about where our work takes place and what it feels like to see from the perspective of young people um but that was an important research positionality to work alongside my my students and two of them are co-authors on parts of this book um and so, in terms of, I think the kinds of social learning that happens on the school bus, there is, you know, the ways that we think about our relationships to power, right? The ways we learn to uh, behave and socialize in these spaces. But there's other kinds of costs that happen, right? Uh, so one, as I mentioned, is the kind of time tax, right? You spend thousands of hours by the time you finish schooling um, on this bus every day. What do you, <clears throat> what could that time have been used for? Um, could you, uh, could you have and innovated something differently, could you have spent that time in uh, enrichment classes, dance classes, art classes, sculpting classes, uh, design, right, at the same time that you were instead on a bus? Um, So there's the idea of what might have been lost. Uh, And then there's the kind of socialization, right? Every day you ride the bus um, to the, you know, these might not have been good feelings or bad feelings. You know, a, a lot of people I've talked to have talked about feelings of bullying or isolation or loneliness from riding the bus every day. Um, and those are lessons we learn and, and memories we hold about schooling. Um, maybe you made some really good friends. Maybe you made um, some, maybe you had a, a romance on, on the bus. Uh, you know, you think about so many songs about uh, buses uh, and, 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 and what this looks like uh, in our relationships with each other. Um, lastly, I think, you know, there's ways where I would, I would watch students who were very hungry and they would try to secretly eat on the bus there's no eating on the school bus um or kindergartners who had to go to the bathroom but they had a 45 minute drive ahead of them and the ways there there's no there's no bathroom there's no there's no eating on the bus just kind of the ways you think about your own kind of human dignity every day you ride the bus and the ways we do or don't care about what kids do as long as we get them to school on time or as close to on time as possible
1: Hmm. see control mildly terrifying and that's before we add in the kind of particular um, busing dynamics, as you've mentioned before. So let's add those in. Um, you argue in the book that buses have both uh, mitigated and reinforced race and class discrimination.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I guess I'll say the ways, and uh, I know I'm talking to something of an international listenership, uh, but the ways busing. And Brown versus Board, particularly, are thought of here in the United States, is this kind of great moment in civil rights where students wanted equal access, uh, particularly black students in this in the lawsuit wanted equal access to schools that were segregated for white students, um, and and this case basically made it so that everybody could access them. There's there's violence, there's a huge civil rights movement, lots of people fought for this. It is an important moment in the ways we think about civil rights. Uh, in the United States, um, and it is twinned with si- with similar cases um, for um, uh, Latinx individuals, right? And we think about the ways that this is about um, racial equality um, in general. However, I think one one diminished piece of of, some, of many, but one piece that is largely not talked about as we think about the shifts with Brown versus Board um, is the ways for long before this, there's a large kind of leadership and practice around. Black schools, black teachers, black principals—that um, largely went away once students went to uh, integrated schools. Right? We have this. We had this tradition of black schooling um, that's gone away, uh, and so this is something that's lost that oftentimes isn't talked about or thought about. Um, which means we have something of uh, almost like a power drain of black leadership and black uh, teaching um, that happened over time. This this is twinned alongside. Um, you know, several decades before this is when the the US teaching profession was largely uh, seen as women's work right and was was largely the, a profession that was made by women. So this is how we see what looks today is largely a white female um, uh, teaching uh, teaching demographic. This, there, obviously there's there's shifts. I, I do not identify as white or female I and mean, I was a teacher and I'm, I'm one of many individuals who who do not check those boxes. Um, but just kind of recognizing this is one piece. The ways it expands, though, is, again, you know, these kids that, that I rode this school bus with, their, their families voluntarily signed them up. They could have gone to a, a closer school, um, but their families, through uh, um, a similar kind of civil rights lawsuit, volunteered for their students to ride the school bus every day for, you know, anywhere from two to three to four hours every day in order to get uh, back to school and back because uh, these schools had "quote unquote" better academic uh, achievement and better academic results, and so th- these are ways where students are able to suddenly access um, what might be seen as better academic learning opportunities, um, and and what the and we, we can think about the pathways of how those lead towards uh, college enrollment, college acceptance, better careers. From, um, you know, for these students who were near, they were in a very working class area in Silicon Valley, um, but also from some of their houses could see, you know, the Facebook building, right? The bu- the buildings that Facebook, um, that Facebook's campus, is it called a campus, um, uh, are, are are nestled in, right? And you can kind of think through, you know, you can see what gentrification does and you can see what the impacts of a quote unquote good education, even if these founders oftentimes didn't actually uh, finish at Stanford or Harvard, right? I'm thinking about Google and Facebook, um, you can see the results of what good white uh, Ivy League education can can yield you um, just from just from your windows, right? And from uh, from uh, sitting at stoplights on on the school bus. And so there's, again, these are the kinds of benefits that might be afforded by the bus. We have to think about the drawbacks, right? We've invested so much in the roads and the vehicles, uh, and haven't thought about what would it mean to actually just make the school work in our neighborhoods so that the bus didn't have to be so iconic, uh, for the kids in this current generation, we could we could do it otherwise. Uh, we just choose not to as a society.
1: I mean, we're clearly choosing not to do a whole bunch of things um, when it comes to the school bus. So that uh, is definitely part of it. Um, and obviously, we've, we've mentioned the students that you and your graduate students um, sat with and experienced the bus with. And we've kind of I think quite obviously at this point surfaced a whole bunch of potential ways that the school bus and its experience could be changed um what did students want to change about this when you asked them
0: Mm -hmm. that's a great question um it's funny so yeah i I didn't quite describe this study very well uh now i'll say a word that um their their question of what they wanted was never at the center of this uh, until my students and I were able to introduce it. We're, uh, you know, I've, I've studied educational technology. I've studied game design. I studied literacy stuff. Um, and a local superintendent basically uh, was familiar with some of my work and invited me onto the bus in, in his district. Um, I'm really grateful for for his work. I acknowledge him in, in the book's um, acknowledgement section. Um, and basically, uh, he, he saw, you know, un- unlike a lot of people, he was really thinking about, These students recognizing that they were largely the more diverse students in his school um, and the amount of time they're spending on the bus. He was concerned about discipline issues that he was hearing from the driver Um, and his solution was to install a Wi-Fi hub on the school bus and give students Chromebooks so that they could do some reading enrichment on the bus. Right. That this is a thing uh, that could happen. uh, it's, it's almost like a punishment to now that you're on the bus, do more school while your peers might get to do something else. Even if that's something else is just relax or eat a snack. Um, but, you know, I think there are really good intentions for what this uh, superintendent was trying to do. Um, we took a step back and then used that invitation to one kind of evaluate how effective, uh, that, that form of adding new technology to the school bus technology, if, if there if there's any effectiveness there. Not really, right? Most of the time the, the Wi-Fi hub didn't work or if there's a different bus being operated, it wasn't even on the bus. Um, students would basically find different ways to play games on on devices. And why wouldn't you if you're tired of school all day? Um, so was like, so just to say this started from an invitation from the, the school's perspective of how could the bus be better? Uh, and we tried to think about that. But then really once we're on the bus, the kind of ethnographer Inside of me really came to life again. Like this is like the bread and butter of what I like to do. Really is sit and try to learn those kind of emic perspectives of what's it like to be a kid on a bus again. Um, kind of evoke you know my own assumptions of what this looks like, and better and and start asking kids you know start learning from from individuals. And there's a different there's like a kind of social structure. The front of this school bus was for the younger kids, so this is where you get to have like sillier conversations about um narwhals and whatever whatever they're interested in you know young kids and if you move to the back of the buses where you get the middle school kids who too cool to actually talk to you and they actually just want to kind of look at tiktok and kind of talk with one another and um yell out inappropriate things and see if the bus driver will catch them right and so you just kind of get the the topography of what this this particular school bus was like at any given time but across all of them right these these buses were places where kids wanted the ride to be shorter they wanted to be able to eat they wanted to go to the bathroom, like very, very basic, you know, we think like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. They wanted some very, very basic needs fulfilled. Um, and barring those because those are, those are both things they can't get. They want to be treated with respect. Uh, they want a little bit more comfort and they want something to do right. They want some fun. We, we would bring on uh, books for, for kids to read. Um, Uh, we got those i don't know how else to describe them because i don't remember the official name but i think of them as like museum tour headsets like the little thing like the little earphones you wear they carry around a little box like the audio Um, tour things yeah the audio yeah exactly the audio tour i'm sure there's a much better name we're gonna call them the audio tour thing um but we bought a set of those so everyone could we basically created our own we weren't allowed to use the school bus drivers intercom system so we basically created our own private system by giving everybody one of those uh and we would we would kind of uh, engage in conversations with people through using those. Um, at the time they were doing the study, uh, the rapper Lil Nas X uh, had a song "Old Country Road" uh, that was very popular with the kids. And you know, one of our defining memories was everyone had these headsets on, and we played. We basically plugged in my graduate student's phone into the device and played the song. And we have this moment of every kid kind of at the top of their lungs singing, from kindergartners to eighth graders, singing along to the song. Um there's a moment of you know community that was felt that was shared kind of intergenerationally across the students across the graduate students. I'm not the biggest fan of the song, but you know you can think of like what these moments could feel like and look like um as getting to something that feels more social and safe and welcoming uh than the ways the bus is intended or even what adults wanted from it.
1: I'm just trying to imagine that like. I imagine there was probably like dancing or flailing of some kind involved. <laughs> there,
0: there's there is arm dancing. Yeah, it's on you can't you can't get out of your seats, right? But uh there's definitely like head you can you can see some head bobbing um and yeah, like that that kind of like you know 6th, 7th, 8th graders, they're a little they're a little more self-conscious about what you look like at that age, but even them they were willing to kind of perform and feel feel felt by the music, right? In ways that we oftentimes aren't don't allow ourselves to be.
1: So then is it possible for a school bus to have or be a fun learning experience? Uh,
0: I, I wanna say I wanna say yes, right? Like the optimist in me says yes, but the optimist in me would also just do do the, the professory thing of say, what even is a school bus, even though I wrote a book that's about the school bus? because uh, I think I think your question of, you know, can a bus be can it be optimistic, can it be welcoming, can it be joyous? Um, it's a question of saying, can we can we strip back the fundamentals of what of what counts as a school bus? Right. Your school bus wasn't yellow um, and you don't necessarily have positive feelings about it. But um, we can we can we can strip back assumptions. There's the school. there's this um, in, in doing this, we found all these like nice models of like what the school bus looked like before it being a vehicle. It was pulled by um, by livestock. Right. That They would basically carry like a wagon. Um, and that was. Um, uh, that was what the school bus was before then there's parts in, in different cities that are called a human powered school bus. And it's basically a a bright rope and kids hold the rope and walk from one location to another, but you call it a bus. And you basically take this, this, uh, you know, industrial, uh, mechanical technology and then put it in the, the arms and feet of, of people. Right. So we can think of like, what, what counts as a school bus as a way to think about this. And so part of the, part of this question You know, is it possible to redesign the bus Um, comes back to do we need the bus in the in the first place? Right. Does it need to operate? Right. I think the best kind of bus would be no bus at all. Right. It would be a kind of new kind of learning that may not even look like what schools look like. I know this becomes like a radical kind of navel-gazy idea of like what what could even be schooling um but i'll pair this with another kind of consideration one thing that get fresher with as i focus on english education and about literacy here in the united states is oftentimes we talk about reform and the ways we need to change the educational system Uh, and particularly if i think about you know uh in the week that we're talking there's been um another uh, mass shooting inside a school uh, here in the United States. This is a uniquely American, awful American, um, an epidemic uh, that will continue. I'm sure by the time this podcast comes out, another one has happened. Um, when you think through, we try we try to reform the schooling system in the United States as if it's reformable, right? As if it's something that could be fixed. Where I think if we look at these systems of uh, anti-blackness, of school violence, of the kind of very American principles of violence and oppression and control that are situated in schools, we might need to kind of reconstitute the schooling system entirely and think of new kinds of systems. That's really hard to say within the kind of politicized and fractured political landscape that we sit in right now. But at least I'd rather make that optimistic call than try to settle with the system we have. And I'd say the same thing with a school bus, right? We could, you know, uh, put some posters of cats saying, hang in there on the post on the on the, the ceiling of the school bus. And maybe we we put in some blinking lights, and we like um, put in some some Wi-Fi uh, and some charging stations in each of the in each of the seats, so that students can charge their devices. Um, or maybe put in those like screens on the back of airplanes, so students can watch their own TVs as they're bus. Um, and maybe we install a bathroom. Right, there's ways we could do cosmetic things and make it even closer to uh, the Google bus. Or we could redesign what counts as a bus and what counts as transformation. We could make it something of A transformational learning laboratory um, make it magical like the magical school bus and think about where it could take us rather than always taking us back and forth from school and otherwise Um, there's new possibilities but we need to kind of set aside um, our assumptions of what counts as a school bus to get there
1: I like this challenge It is intriguing um, and does slightly negate needing to actually ask you kind of, how could we improve this? Um, because I think you've already given a fabulous answer to it. Um, and it's both, well, there are kind of quick wins, but maybe we should avoid the lure of the quick win, um, which I think is an important um, thing to really think about. So I that leaves me only with sort of two final questions. Um kind of, I guess, uh, behind the scenes one, I suppose, Uh, your students obviously had quite a unique experience, as you said, first quarter of grad school. Um, And obviously, from your perspective as well, uh, it's kind of an odd thing to ride a school bus with a bunch of kids. That's not something adults do that often. Um, So aside from the things you've sort of already told us about, is there anything additionally that you and or your team really kind of learnt or were surprised by in this particular process of riding the bus with kids?
0: Sure. I'll I'll do two mundane things to start. So One is, uh, this is a hard study to do if you get motion sickness, as one of my graduate students found (laughs) out. (laughs) Um, And, you know, uh, shout out to Miroslav for for powering through, um, right? But, you know, it's hard to... it's hard to be on, a, It's not, again, not particularly comfortable bus, but then have to like look around, try to make eye contact, try to be in conversation with people if you're also getting motion sickness, right? So it's just kind of thinking about the, the, the logistics of that, the safety concerns there. Um, the other thing that's kind of mundane that might might not be obvious unless, unless I say it, uh, is it's a, it's a little expensive to do school bus research, aside from the personnel of hiring graduate students to do this work with you. Uh, logistically, like, if you think about the school bus picks you up in a neighborhood, it takes you to a school location, uh, and then at the end of the day, you could get on that same bus and go back to that location. My students and I were riding the bus most time either in the morning or in the afternoon and they would go to their classes. I would teach, would do other kinds of work. Uh, and then sometimes we would come back that same day or we'd go on a different day, right? We'd, we kind of rotated which, which days would do morning bus rides and which days would do afternoon bus rides. So it's just completely different experiences. But in order to do that, um, you either take an Uber or, or some kind of vehicle to a drop-off location, the, the pickup location for the school bus very early in the morning, uh, or uh, the school itself in the afternoon, uh, ride the bus, and then you then have to take an Uber again back to wherever it is you came from, right? That if you're doing a study on a school bus and you don't happen to live in either places where the school bus is picked up, uh, you've got, uh, you know, something of a last mile problem of how to get there. And so we had a whole bunch of transportation around the school bus in order to study the bus, which really just amounted to, you know, thousands of dollars of um, Uber and Lyft receipts in order to do this, right? Like uh, Silicon Valley made a bunch of money off of us even doing this study. Uh, I think the other thing is like the, the negotiations with uh, with adults is, is really tricky in these spaces, right? Uh, we, we had to really communicate with parents so they knew who are these strangers who are riding the school bus with us. Uh, if the school bus was late, sometimes we would check in with teachers and let them know, you know, the bus was late uh, and, and check in with, with teachers. We're regularly communicating with principals and superintendents. Um, we also communicated with the bus driver and, and the kind of dispatch operation center. And so there's there's a lot of individuals that are impacted by the school bus, even more so than, um, I think, regular classrooms. And so just kind of thinking through, like, this is this invisible space and many, many people are involved with it, even if we just we don't count it as school. But it's such a fundamental part of how the school operates.
1: Very good points. Thank you for raising them. I gl- I'm glad I asked. Um- This leads me only to ask my last question, uh, which is obviously the book is out, though quite recently. So I imagine sleep needs to be caught up on. Um, But is there anything you might be currently working on or looking to work on next, whether or not it's a book, whether or not it's about school buses that you'd like our audience to be aware of?
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll say two quick things. So one, uh, I'll say three things. The first thing is the books, you can read it for free online I, through um, through the University of Minnesota Press's uh, website. They have, uh, it is open access. And so it's not that expensive of a book. And also, it's also not that long. Um, and so uh, I just if, if any of this resonates with you, I'd say you could, you could skim it online for free. Uh, it's no, uh, you know, it's no skin off of my teeth. So check it out if, if that's of interest to you. Um, there's two different ways where this the school bus has intersected with my work. And so the first way is a lot of my research right now is on the idea of educational platforms. And the school bus is something of a temporary platform as you get on and off the bus every day. Um, but thinking about, you know, the platforms of uh, learning management systems and the platforms of surveillance and attendance systems and the platforms um, of Google Classroom and Google Docs and uh, and probably chat GPT and Bard, all of these things probably fit into here at this point. Um, there's been a way for us to think through, like, what does technology mean and how has it infiltrated every aspect of schooling? Uh, And the school bus is kind of like the big, ugly example of that. And so this is some continuation of some of the work that I've been doing around this. Um, But largely, this idea of, like, things could be different, and particularly if we learn from the perspectives of other kinds of people, um, has been centered in my work around speculative education. Uh, In May, I've been hosting annual speculative education colloquia, uh, where we bring in some featured speakers. This comes from a learning sciences perspective. I'd just encourage if people are interested in this world, we'll we'll host a um, we'll host our this this year's colloquium um, uh, in in the the second week of May. We have some children's books authors who are going to be joining us. Uh, and then related to this, uh, I've been doing work that feels like a pivot, but is a similar kind of we could things could be different if we see it from the perspectives of the people involved with it. I've been doing work alongside individuals who are labeled as undocumented uh, in the eyes of U.S. immigration policy here in the United States uh, and really trying to center their lives and experiences. As someone who's not that label, I'm thinking about how can I use the privileges afforded by the academy um, to bring other people into the conversations around policy and to really center their lived experiences. Uh, we've been trying to do this as a form of public research and public outreach. Uh, we have a we have a substack. Uh, I think everyone has a substack in this exodus from Twitter. Um, it is La Cuenta, L-A-C-U-E-N-T-A. It is, it's it's uh, it's the word for bill uh, in Spanish, lacuenta.substack.com. And this is really a place where every week a different individual who's labeled as undocumented, gets to share their perspective with the world. And we're thinking about forms of advocacy and mutual aid that might be tied to this. Uh, Really trying to transform what counts as research and where it takes place and with whom is, I think, the the goal that's continuing from this book.
1: And I think in a lot of ways that does link to this book, right? The idea of Mm -hmm. making the visible but not thought about or the actually bringing that into the conversation. So um, yeah, thank absolutely. you for sharing those with us. Um, and yes, to encourage listeners, if you want to read the book we've been discussing, again, it's titled All Through the Town, which for <laughs> a certain subset of listeners will be very memorable. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, it's published by the University of Minnesota Press. And it's just come out in 2023. Um, Antra, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate it.